Hey, welcome back to the Zeitgeist Podcast. Today we have a special guest, Pete Barron. Pete is a published author of the new book, If Only We Knew, a Fairfield University senior and the assistant to the president at the National Urban League in New York City. Pete and I dove into a bunch of topics like the power of writing, Pete's reflections after publishing his first book before graduating from college, and later we bounced over to personal development, personal growth, and philosophy, a bit of Western Stoicism versus Eastern Taoism. This is part one of a two-part series. Hope you enjoy the show. And Pete, we've known each other for a while. I, where did we meet first? Northport, Northport basketball camp? Yeah, Northport. I think, I don't remember how old we were, but I think at that point, uh, both of us were in camp. And then we really, I think, became friends once you became a coach. Um, or a ref and then I was playing in them after that like ages 10 to 14 around there somewhere right yeah I think so that's a long time and, and I hadn't I hadn't heard from you for a while and when I, I was shocked man you're doing lots of good things you want to just recap some of the last things you you've been up to last three four years I mean yeah, I, sure. I was blown away when I when <laughs> I saw everything you've been up to thank you thank you uh so basically I go to Fairfield University and I just tried to get involved in as many things as possible. Um, and one thing I did was I, I start, founded the Honors Social Justice Book Club, which is just through the Honors Program. Um, I was able to form this book club. And through that role, I was able to host a, a bunch of events through the Quick Center. So that might've been the first things you started to see uh, was just me hosting events with professors. And I was even, even able to bring in a best-selling author, uh, Eric Weiner, to come speak at my school and have a conversation with him. Um, and then... Another thing I did is I wrote a book, which is a nonfiction book that's called uh, If Only We Knew, How Ignorance Creates and Amplifies the Greatest Risks Facing Society. And that was something I worked on for two years. Um, it's kind of like my baby. It's, it's, it's really what I believe. Um, and it was just a book that was kind of formed through my discussions with professors at my school and just my own research and, and thinking about the social issues in our country and what we can do um, to start solving them. Uh, and then other things, I guess I, I started a blog. Uh, because you, you told me to start a blog, really, and that's been a great experience for me because um, I became very involved, very in, um, interested in philosophy over the last few years of my life, and the blog kind of helped me share that interest with others and also improve my writing skills and improve um, for myself how I can apply that philosophy to my life. Let's go down that rabbit hole a little bit, the writing. Uh, I mean, casually writes a book during college, starts a blog. What has been the benefit of developing a writing practice for you? What have you gotten from that? I think the, the biggest benefit is just more confidence in how, how I'm speaking and what I'm saying and really just with the content that um, I'm engaging with. Because I, I write a lot, you have to try to find ways to make what you're saying make sense. And a lot of times you'll realize that you don't have enough information or you just don't know the content well enough to, to write about it yet and you have to do more research. Um, so that's been a huge benefit for me. But like I said in the beginning, it's really a lot about how I'm speaking. Uh, because I've been writing a lot, I know which words are supposed to go together, which helps me when I'm speaking because I don't start saying words where they're not supposed to be or mm -hmm. get tripped up and not, not being able to think of a word. It just makes you, when you're a good speaker, you're just more confident when you're talking to anybody. That's huge. Yeah, writing really lets you slow down and think about word choice in a way that speaking alone doesn't. Mm -hmm. and, and Yeah, I think there's something... Uh, to be gained just from writing compared to, to reading. A lot of people say that reading um, is how you improve your vocabulary and reading is how you improve your speaking. And I think to a large extent, reading does that. But writing is kind of using that reading you've done and applying it 
because now you have to be the writer and you have to kind of get into the mind of um, the author of something. And then that just helps you tremendously. Absolutely. And, and you're a talented writer. So excited to see what else Thank you, you publish in the next few years. How was that though, for a lot of people, the idea of publishing something under their own name, a book, a blog, even a post on LinkedIn, or even a post on Twitter, it's scary. I've been there too. It's, it's definitely, um, there's a hesitation there. Did you have that or did you always have this confidence to publish things under your own name? I think it's natural to have hesitation. I'm like so lucky because I have such a great support system. My parents have always been extremely supportive of me and going to Fairfield, which is a small school, I supportive of me. And when I got the idea to write my book, I was, I met with one of my professors who was an English professor and she was in her class. I got this idea to write the book and I told her about the idea. We were talking about it. I said, well, I really think this could become a book. And right away, she encouraged me to write it. And I think having a support system like that was extremely important for me because I don't know if I would have did this project if I had everyone telling me, nah, that's crazy. Like you're too young. You don't write a book, you know, maybe try to get a paper published or something, you know, try to submit it to a journal. Um, that's probably where I would have gone if I didn't have the support system that I did. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, makes a huge difference. What your surroundings like, I, I want to ask you on this because I might, this might be a selfish question here, but <laughs> looking back at the process of publishing your first book, what might you have done differently or what is some golden nuggets that you picked up that like, okay, as a published author, you're like, that would have been helpful to know. That's a good question. I, I think because my, my writing process really did evolve as I was writing. And looking back on it, I feel, especially in the beginning, I just wasn't as good of a writer as I am now. So my writing process improved just because I've become a better writer. So I think regular practice of writing on things that aren't your published book, like starting a blog, or just, you know, even just doing a journal for yourself, I think that would have helped me just have more writing practice because I think the chapters became much easier for me to write as I um, kept writing, just because I was writing so much that I learned how to write better. Uh, so it really wasn't something I could have changed then in, in terms of structure or process, but I think writing more in the beginning just to practice writing would have been helpful for me just so I could have maybe written a better book. <laughs> Love the honesty. Might you have spend more time publishing on the internet first now that you're saying oh well just getting in the process of writing helped me become a better writer or you still think the book was a good route for you it was a good route because of what because of the content of the book um the, the book was it's really just a message a social message that i was thinking about and that i felt i needed to share with others because of, of my platform as a student my perspective as from gen z on these social issues um, so I think the book was something I definitely want to do, but I do think that publishing on online platforms like LinkedIn, because there's some, or even doing a blog, because there's some sort of pressure there, it's not just writing for yourself, that makes you write better. Mm. Um, you know, when I started my blog, I didn't just write things down and publish them because I knew people were going to see it. So I want people to see my best writing and I want people to see my first draft writing. Um, so I think when you have that pressure, it pushes you to become a better writer and it's fun because you start seeing the engagement. There's nothing better than if you write something and someone gets, you get a comment from someone that you really don't even talk to. who says, yeah, I really love this. And it's like, all right, cool. <laughs> like I'm doing something with this. Then it's not just for nothing. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head with that. Um, there's this positive feedback loop that you get from publishing on the internet and this, this synergy, like we connected again 
partially because of a LinkedIn post the other day. And mm -hmm. uh, so it's just like leveraging, scaling your personality. It's, it's a great time. It's a great time for yeah. to be a writer. Uh, yeah. Before we got on this call, I, I mentioned, I wanted to talk with you about just sort of growth. And because like I said, I, I'm so impressed with what you've been doing. It's been so cool to watch, man. Because even when we were little kids, you were always grinding with basketball. I knew you had this, this passion that few kids have and, and now you're an adult and making big things happen there too. So where does this come from? Like, I'm just curious, like what started this for you? Because for most, how old are you, 21 or, or 20? Yep, 21. Yeah, you're, you're, you're killing it as, as 21, I'm 22, we're, we're same age basically. And yeah, long question, but long story short, where is this growth mentality coming from? I would say it's pro it probably came from my family background because my parents always kind of probably instilled me from a young age, try to kind of strive for perfection. And even though my parents aren't super strict or pushing me too hard or anything, I kind of internalize that for myself. So I've always tried to, to grow. But now that I reflect on it, it doesn't really matter to me what the initial catalyst was for me to, to be like this. I'm, when I just think about it really philosophically now, if I wasn't doing things to grow, what would I be doing? And I think to a lot of what I would be doing is sitting on the couch watching TV, you know, just doing things that aren't really productive. I guess that would be the term. And while there is a place for that, of course, every once in a while, it's, it's great to relax. I always think back to a Marcus Aurelius quote from uh, Meditations, where he's talking about being in bed and he doesn't want to get out of bed. And he says, he says to himself, you know, I have to go to work as a human being. This is what I have to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. It's my nature. And, and he's like, oh, but it's nicer in here in the bed. And he says, what's your nature? To feel nicer, to do something, to you know, go help people. And so I reflect on that, that my nature isn't to just go sit, watch, go sit, watch TV, play video games. It's to grow and, and to try to do something to help others and do something to really help myself so I can be the best version of myself. What you said um, is very simple, but what you said about what else is there to do, dude, that was, I had that exact thought. It's that it's really like, okay, like it doesn't feel good to, to decay, to stay in bed. Mm -hmm. Like Marcus Aurelius says, like, what are we here for? And uh, like, right. Yeah. And I think another, that's one part of the equation, but the other part of the equation is don't view your growth as part of a story and don't try to write your story right now. Because I think a lot of a lot of problems with growth is we try to view growth as towards some end and we have to reach this end. So if you if I say to myself, okay, I am gonna, you know, really work on my ability to read case law because I'm gonna become a lawyer and I have to do that right now or whatever. Um, and then then I'm kind of locking myself into a plan. I give myself no room to mm -hmm. go in a different direction. So I think really growth should be growth on whatever you're interested in right now when like you mentioned earlier when I was younger I was a, I was a basketball player and at that point in my life basketball was what I wanted to grow in I wanted to become a better basketball player now basketball isn't as important to me so I'm not in the gym you know playing basketball because my competitive basketball days are over but now I have a different path where I'm going to grow on and in five years it could be completely different um, because I you know we don't know how our story is going to end we don't know what's going to be in that story no one can know that all we can know is what we're interested in right now. And from that, you know, where should I grow to make sure that this interest could kind of see, see, it, see it to the end? You know, how can I see this interest to the end? Yeah, and, and, and you hit on like a, 
I don't know if it's a truth or a truism, like there's no destination, like it's, it's the journey and exactly. like right. the growth, like you just solve bigger problems, play bigger games that have bigger outcomes. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to a good friend, Patrick today, or a new friend, Patrick at the visual monkey on Twitter. And he was like, well, what's the metagame? The metagame is to keep getting invited to new games, to keep playing bigger and bigger games. Just, um, yeah, I don't know if I fully understand this idea, but. Yeah, like, and I think, I think that's a, a good way to look at it. Um, you know, I do think it's important. And I know we want to talk a little bit about philosophy because yeah. um, you know, I do think it's important to every once in a while, disconnect from the games that you're playing because the games are kind of a way to fill time because what else would you be doing and you know of course in those games you could do good you could provide value um but it's also just as important to realize that yeah nothing does like at the end of the day none of this really matters that much you know we're, we're pretty insignificant um so there is no metagame that's going to provide us with the most meaningful life that you know extreme happiness but it will help us grow as a person. And by growing as a person, it can provide more value to people. And we could just fill our role as humans on this planet, which is to serve each other and just kind of let the, let the natural processes of life keep going. Well, I would say I do find a lot of meaning in, in growing just for growth's sake. Like the, the mm-hmm. idea of like, like following curiosity, following interests, doubling down on strengths and just trying to become better feels pretty good. I, I haven't found yeah. a better solution for yeah, yeah, I think that that's a good solution too. I, you know, I, I think meaning is something that we kind of create. I don't think meaning is inherent in nature, um, but ha- having a sense of purpose is a good feeling. So I don't <laughs> see any reason why we shouldn't go after a sense of purpose, even if it, if in you know base reality it doesn't actually exist. If there isn't a purpose to, to our life, there's no reason why we shouldn't invent a purpose for ourselves. If that's what makes us feel good, if that helps us provide more value to people and that's what makes us feel good um you know i, I think that's true yeah it almost feels like like it's a better filter it's it's, it's yeah it's nice do you do you feel like you you have something uh in the background driving you like some sort of purpose that you've decided on or is that a, that's a pretty tough question <laughs> yeah, i just stopped things that are driving me a lot some part of what's driving me is is to try to make a change in the world that I think would improve people's lives. Um, another thing driving me is to try to live the best life I can live. That's really, that's pretty good to like the philosophy. Um, but I think, you know, going back to this idea of purpose and finding a purpose and whether or not there is a purpose, Taoism is my favorite philosophy and, and Taoism talks about living with illusions. So even if purpose doesn't exist, we know that our life is illusions. Why not, might as well live with that illusion. Um, and I think these things driving you, your purposes, you know, those are just, we can acknowledge that they're illusions, but also acknowledge that we're supposed to live with those illusions. And if that's going to guide you, that's going to guide you. And that's completely fine. I know you have a pretty solid background in Taoism. Um, maybe you want to give me just like a 80, 20 overview. Also the listeners, like what is so spe- spectacular about this philosophy? Cause you've, you've mentioned it many times to me. I've read the Tao Te Ching once or twice, but I don't know if I have as good an understanding as you do. Well, what's so amazing about the philosophy to me is that it's effortless and that it's it's natural. A lot of other philosophies, especially Stoicism, and I think there's a lot of value in Stoicism, um, but Stoicism is a hard philosophy. It's very hard to, to, to kind of convince yourself that 
nothing can hurt you, only you can hurt yourself and never get mad at anything. And, and, um, and even though logically it makes a lot of sense in there, right? <laughs> um, it's hard to do. But Taoism is, is basically saying we all have a nature and that the way to, to the good life is to follow our nature. And to understand their nature, we have to look at the rest of nature. Um, and the Tao Te Ching does a really good job of breaking these down into really easy examples. Uh, the most famous example is the example of water. And in Taoism, they say that water always occupies the lowest, um, lowest available space. So that reminds you to be humble. It says that water is not resistant to change. If something's in its way, it just goes around. That reminds us to be open to things and go around things. Um, and water is always in harmony with everything else. So we try to be in harmony with our surroundings. Yeah. I, and just those, just exactly, right. So those just simple examples um, were really helpful for me when I got to a tough situation to just say, okay, I could just change. I don't have to force through this. You know, maybe that's not the right path for me right now. I'm um, also just to, to try to remind myself to be humble because especially when you're growing and you're doing a lot of things and people are, are congratulating on things to remind yourself that everything you're doing is still superficial and that you're still insignificant. You're just like everything else. Like that's what Taoism would tell you. Um, that keeps you humble and it improves your relationships with others, which I believe leads to our happiness in large part. Yeah, I'll have to think about that, especially with the humility. Um, I was just reading Ben Franklin's autobiography. He said that was one, the one thing that was sort of getting to him for the rest of all of his life was uh, mm -hmm. his pride. Um, I want to think about that. But something you just reminded me of is... Uh, Last time we talked, we were talking about, you know, having this growth mentality, it, it can be hard with your old relationships. And, you know, like this tweet from Naval Ravikant, the price for growth is outgrowing other people. Do you want to comment on that at all? How that's been for you the last few years? Yeah, I, I think, especially when we are doing new things and where our interests are developing, um, we can't expect our friends that we've had before these new interests to kind of keep pace with that. Um, and that's not a bad thing. You know, th there are certain friends that I don't talk to about certain things because I know that that's not our relationship. Um, and that's fine. You know, I'm very grateful for our relationship, Connor, because you're someone I can talk to about a lot of the things that I'm doing and I can learn from your growth and you learn from my growth. Um, but you can't do that with every friend. And I think that's important, just as important for us to realize as it is for other friends to realize about us. Maybe they don't want to be friends with us. Um, but it's very, it's definitely challenging because, you know, you, you have someone that you've been friends with your entire life um, and you, you want them to just support you in everything you're doing. But we have to recognize that that's really almost a selfish um, ask of, the, of other people because, you know, we're growing, you know, we're changing. We're not the same person that we were. So there's no reason we should expect them to just blindly follow with us and support us no matter what with everything, even though, you know, they might support us, but just to be, want to be part of it, um, want to support you, go out of their way. That's, kind of been unrealistic you know as you said you outgrow people you find new people life's a long journey you know it's it's not, it's not the end of the world it's reminding yourself that losing a friend is or not having that friend be the friend you want them to be isn't the end of the world yeah yeah and that, that's like a principle i've tried to adopt the last few months has been just brutal honesty and a similar side effect of that is you do repel some people but like the people who, who make it through that and who, who can accept you when you're being 100% honest end up being, how to say, like, loyal is not the right word, but much deeper connections. Yeah, I think that's true. I think 
and like I said, we're going to have new friends at all points of our life. Like it, it, you keep growing. Uh, in a lot of Indian philosophy, they talk about, and even in Buddhism, they talk about how you're constantly changing. The only thing that's constant is change. Um, so the person I am at this moment at 2.24 p.m. at Eastern Standard Time is not the person I'm going to be tomorrow at 2.24 p.m. I'm like a completely different person according to Indian philosophies. Um, and if you operate with that mindset, as you go years and years and years, you're completely different than you were when you were had these friends. So it's Hopefully. completely natural. And you should be, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's completely natural to have new interests, to have new friends. Um, and to form deeper connections with some people and maybe lose those connections with other people. And it's only by holding on to those deep connections that we had in the past and that we don't want to let them go that we cause misery for ourselves. We just kind of go with the flow, which is another Taoist idea. You just go with the flow and, and then you're going to be much happier, you're going to be much more satisfied and much less anxious about losing friends or your status or anything like that. Yeah, it's it's this often this this clutching on to to the way things were that creates a lot of pain yes and that's a stoic idea too <laughs> talking about stoicism stoicism is awesome man so you've you've mentioned stoicism a great western philosophy taoism Ch uh, chinese philosophy and, and indian philosophy uh did you read the Bhagavad Gita? i had to read a little bit okay. of it for um one of my my intro to asian philosophies class but i haven't read the whole thing yeah me neither me neither but but pete you're you're 21 you've read a good bit of most of the great philosophies of the great world philosophies why <laughs> i don't know <laughs> many other 21 year olds <laughs> this i don't know many other people for, for for that sake that are this well read in philosophy where did this come from how did you get started and what has it brought you yeah so, so i've always been interested in philosophy like my entire life when i was really young probably in fourth grade I thought to myself that I wanted to be a philosopher, but I didn't even think philosophers existed anymore. So I didn't know that you could become an academic philosopher. Um, I thought that was like a thing in the past, but I remember when I learned about in history class about Plato or Aristotle or Socrates, I remember thinking um, I want to be a philosopher. And when I got to high school, I remember my religion classes were my favorite classes, not because I was an overly religious person, but because I was always concerned about these existential questions about why am I here? you know, is there a God? What's the point of this? Um, so philosophy has always been really interesting to me. But when I got to Fairfield, and this was the winter of my sophomore year, my dad gifted me for Christmas this book called The Socrates Express uh, in Search of Life Lessons from Dead Philosophers by Eric mm -hmm. Weiner. And this book really sparked my interest in philosophy because in just 200 something pages, uh, he was able, the author was able to basically give you 13 different philosophy lessons. And after reading that, I was like, I got to read more philosophy. And then I found Taoism. Then I started taking more philosophy classes at school. Um, and then I just wanted to read more and more things. And then I even went back to Christianity, even though I don't consider myself religious anymore. Um, I read the Jefferson Bible, which is Thomas Jefferson's, uh, his, copy of the Bible where he only takes the things that Jesus said directly. And I remember reading that and comparing what was what Jesus was saying to other philosophies I was learning to try to see a connection between them. And that was one of the best experiences for me to try to take what I've learned my entire life and what I've kind of grown up around and try to bring it to this new thing I've been learning with Taoism and Stoicism and philosophies like that. Yeah, I, I think personally, and, and I think a lot of people of our generation have 
very little religious education. I think that's really been pushed out. I mean, I know you went mm -hmm. to Catholic high school, so that really helped. What do you think of, from this Jefferson Bible? What, what teachings of Jesus did you see paralleled by other great philosophies? Well, all of them. <laughs> Everything <laughs> Jesus said is replicated in other philosophies. Um, but if we could just go back to you saying about religious education, um, I think going to a Catholic school, I think religious education is done wrong everywhere because going to a Catholic school, as much as it helped me learn about the Catholic religion, it almost gave me an arrogance and a dismissive view of other religions because I never learned about them in a serious manner. I learned about them as from a historical point of view very briefly and basically as that, okay, these are religions out there, but I'm teaching you the true religion. Like, you know, Catholicism is what it really is. And until I started developing critical thinking skills and started to question that, that was the way I thought. And I think that was really bad because I never appreciated other religions, never saw the wisdom in other religions. And once I've become more critical and started to learn about Asian philosophies, learn about old Western philosophies like Stoicism, Epicureanism, even skepticism, then I've been able to, to see the wisdom in all these different things and realize that no one philosophy has the truth. And to talk about humility, that makes you humble when you realize that it's, it's actually impossible to know everything because there's all these different traditions coming from different experiences, different environments that I cannot experience all at once. So it's, I think that religion should be taught everywhere. And when I say religion should be taught everywhere, all religion should be taught in a non-preachy manner. Um, but I think it would be helpful for everyone just to read different religious and philosophical texts just to see the wisdom in them. Um, Building on that, I, I, I want to mention another um, anecdote from Ben Franklin. He says, it's not that forbidden things are bad. It's that, oh, because they're forbidden, they are. No, no, it's not that bad things are bad because they're forbidden. It's that forbidden things are forbidden because they're bad. And I think like looking at religion from this, like why was it this way? Why were the teachings this way? I want to spend a lot more time going into Christianity. So do you recommend the, the Jefferson Bible or, or the King James? Where would you get started for someone who, like I went to church, I, I had religion class, but I haven't really read much of the Bible. I would read the Jefferson Bible because the Jefferson Bible is, first of all, it's very small. It's just what Jesus said. And it's also pretty interesting that you see a very small book um, that's all of what Jesus said in the Bible and the rest of the Bible, which is huge, is not what Jesus said. Um, but that gets right to the core of the philosophy of Christianity because it's all kind of built off these, these teachings from Jesus. And you get to see the context for why he said certain things. And for example, when, when he starts talking about heaven and hell, what I started to look at that when, when I was comparing it to Taoism, wasn't this eternal life, this eternal paradise or eternal damnation, but instead heaven was the good life you know, in alignment with the flow of nature and hell was the life not in alignment with the flow of nature. So when he says it's, it's harder for a rich man to enter heaven than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, it doesn't mean that if you're rich, you can't experience the good life. But it says that if you're rich, you're going to be so distracted by pursuing your riches. And if you, there's all these other distractions that get in the way of what's necessary for the good life. Um, and it has nothing to do with financial freedom, but it has a lot to do with the things that come with pursuing money or pursuing something for the sake of a means and treating a means as an end, basically. Um, it, it, you're not going to be able to live the good life if you're so distracted with 
maintaining your wealth. You're going to be able to live a good life if you could use your, if you could do something of value and that just gives you wealth and you're going to be able to be comfortable. Um, but I think that was just one thing that I was able to pick up on. When you talk about the good life, when you talk about living with nature, like you want to expand on that? Any, any specifics sure, yeah. on what that might be like? Yes. Yeah, so, so basically what I mean by that is, it's like we were talking earlier about growth. It's kind of following your interest and following everything in line with what humans are supposed to do. Um, so if you look at kind of all the things that make humans up, unhappy, it's the things that you know, we worry about. Um, it's basically rejection of, of these illusions, not living with illusions. It's, it's, it's saying that, it's saying that you're gonna be so worried about the future um, because you don't know how people are gonna, are gonna view you um, instead of just going in the present and just going with the flow and you know, recognize that you can't really do anything about that. Um, living with nature is a lot, just following the example of water that I was talking about earlier. It's just, if something's not working, you go around it, um, occupy the lowest point. And I think looking to nature looking for examples like the water is a good way to try to figure that out i think this too and, and i was i was just having a conversation with a friend about this it's like do we invent things or do we discover things and i'm i tend to believe that we like, we discover things like we can look to nature like you're saying like like think about the airplane like it's based off the principles of flying that we, we probably gathered from looking at birds and it's not necessarily that we invented this ability to fly we, we discovered it it was already there and it's like mm -hmm. taking the passive least resistance like you're saying and, and working with nature as opposed to trying to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at things. I think discover, I would agree with you. I think it's discover, not inventing. And it also keeps you humble and right. Because when you start think, saying you invented things, created it out of nothing, you start to think you're this supernatural being and you're not part of the natural world. Um, but that's really not how it is. We discover things because we're, we're also part of the natural world. We're not inventing something that is unnatural. Um, it's just, you know, we're looking around the nature and it, figuring something out. I want to give you a pretty specific example on this. Like one of the best things I've done in the last two years was read a couple books on body language. It sounds silly, but it, it, it literally gives you quasi mind reading powers because you have, you start to understand when someone's feeling uncomfortable, when someone's mm -hmm. feeling good, when someone like gets triggered by what you say. And, um, coming back to this idea, do we invent or do we discover? Like the, those cues were always there, that body language, the ability to, the messages were always there, but I was just blind to it before. And then I discovered it. Like mm -hmm. I didn't, it's not like I invented it. Um, so I think this is the case for a lot of knowledge. It's there, just we're not aware to it yet. And, and there's, it's yeah. freaking fun, like becoming aware to it. Yeah, it's actually really funny you mentioned uh, the body language. I remember reading your blogs. I think you had like a two-part blog about the body language and I've read those. And then I've also been like thinking about the things you said and I'm noticing a lot more often. I noticed more if I read the books, I'm sure. Um, but just by reading your blogs, I, I noticed when you know certain things make people uncomfortable or if someone's nervous right there, which I never used to notice, but body language is a really cool thing to pick up on. Oh, it's, it's huge. And it's so undertaught. I've never heard of a body language class at college or high school. Yeah, we were talking about this last week. Uh, there are so many important life lessons uh, that just aren't taught. That's all for our special interview with Pete Barron. I hope you enjoyed part one and see you around for part two next week. Thanks.